Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, we are in a second week of this series entitled Overcome, and we've been diving into this idea of anxiety and depression, and so we hope that, uh, we hope that you're here, you're ready to go this morning. It's kind of a tough subject, but we're going to learn some great skills this morning. I want to start by heading over to Philippians chapter 4, so if you brought the Word of God with you, head over to Philippians chapter 4. We read this last week, but this week we're actually going to focus on verses 5 and 6, and so if you need a Bible, Raise your hand. We've got some guys that will hand you one. It is our gift to you. And uh, head over to Philippians chapter 4 with us. Also, if you're new and uh, this whole church Jesus thing is just kind of foreign to you, grab one of those Bibles that they're passing out because you'll notice up on the screen we're putting page numbers. That corresponds to the Bibles that they're passing out. So if you have a different Bible, those page numbers are not going to help you, all right? So make sure that you grab those. And and if you do, uh, it'll help you to become more familiar with the Word of God, uh, more familiar with the Scriptures. You can find it a little bit quicker and then read along with us, because that's the idea behind doing that. Uh, We don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable about this. We just want you in the Word of God. And so please grab one of those and then head over to Philippians chapter 4 with us this morning. Uh, Last October, I noticed there was a a story that came out in the Wall Street Journal. It was a medical article, and it was called The Biology of Bravery and Fear. And, And in this this whole article, they were talking about the things that cause us to either be brave or to have fear, to, to flee, to have a lot of anxiety. And uh, there's something in our brain, it's a little walnut-sized thing. It looks like a little walnut, but it's gray matter. Uh, and, and it's actually called the amygdala. Uh, we have four of them, so the plural of that would be the amygdala, right? And so the amygdala that we have in our brain is found kind of right in the center. And uh, this is interesting because they haven't really known what it was for for many, many years. And, and through medical research, they finally figured out that this thing is the thing that tells us when to flee, when to freeze, when to fight. Uh, it's this thing that tells us to run when we hear the bear growl. It's the thing that tells us to duck when the baseball is headed at our head. And so this is, this is kind of our fear response. And what's great about it is we don't have to train it. We don't have to teach it what to do. It's just incredible because uh, if you were to step off of a curb and a car honked, you didn't have to process everything. Like, hey, a car's coming. It's pretty big and I'm pretty small. It's fast and I'm slow. I should probably get out of the way. We don't have to go through that whole process. We step off the curb and we hear the car honk. The amygdala is what kicks in and forces us to jump back in reflex to save our lives. It's also the thing if you get in certain situations where your heart rate will go up, you'll get tunnel vision, it start, and we could just go in for an hour on all the different things that it does, but it's amazing how the body is made to respond, but it's all through the amygdala. The amygdala is the thing that prompts 
the reaction before we even know it's needed. It just happens. And so uh, I, I want to liken it to like a house security system, if you will. Some of you have this. You know that at home you've got your doors and your windows all wired to an alarm system. And if somebody tries to sneak in in the middle of the night, uh, you know, they try to jimmy the door or they try to open a window, bells, whistles, horns, all these things start going off, lights, and it's telling you, get up, get out, get to safety. And it's a great thing to have when intruders trying to break into your house. Not so good if it's oversensitive, though. If it's oversensitive, can you imagine if your house alarm went off every time the neighbor's dog barked? What would happen? See, some of your alarm systems actually uh, call the police as well. Uh, could you imagine if it went off every time a stiff wind blew, especially out here in eastern Colorado, right? See, we don't want an oversensitive house security system, and I think the same thing can be said for our heads as well when it comes to the, the amygdala. We don't want oversensitive uh, to fear, to things around us. See, perpetual anxiety is an amygdala that is, actually has an itchy trigger finger, uh, Perpetual anxiety is like this mental alarm system that never quite shuts off, and it causes us to go into tailspins. Uh, years ago, when I was uh, in law enforcement, one of my specialties was what they call DRE. It's Drug Recognition Expert. And I went through all kinds of training, most intense training I've ever been through in my entire life. Um, and it was amazing to me. What I learned through a lot of that training is this, that God is amazing, do you realize that God has wired our bodies and especially our brains to level themselves out? Like if you have a spike of adrenaline or something, the body will actually sense it and it will start to activate like natural mood elevators or tranquilizers to level things out. You get a spike of, of adrenaline or maybe it's a drug that you've entered into your system and it throws, throws things out of whack. Your body can actually self-level. Now, the problem with that, though, is if your amygdala is out of control and never stops, those natural tranquilizers never have the opportunity to do their job. And so uh, I want to just stop for a minute, and I want us to have a, um, just an honest conversation. I'm just going to call this the pastor talk and the message, okay? Uh, so as your pastor, as somebody who loves you, who wants the best for you, uh, I just want to reinforce a couple things just based upon some conversations I had last week and based upon, uh, you know, some questions that came in during the week as well. And, and I want to let you know, first of all, what we said last week, anxiety is not a sin. It's not a sin. But in that, I also told you that even though it's not a sin, it's like anger and temptation. Those are not sins either, but they can actually lead to sinful behavior or they can cause you to sin if you don't get a handle on them pretty quickly. They can lead you to sin, and we don't want that. And so what we're trying to do in this series is to focus in on anxiety, and we're the goal is so that we can identify it, catch it early, not make excuses for it, but start to learn how to over Come those issues. Now, with all that being said, and what I just told you about the biology and everything that goes on in our heads, I will say this. There's a couple of things I want to address. First one is this, is that I don't want uh, those of you that have come up and talked to me and said, well, I just don't know, man. I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure about taking these drugs that the doctor has prescribed for me. Can I just say it this way? We do know with the amygdala, sometimes you can have a chemical imbalance. Like some of you have been diagnosed with serious anxiety disorders. If that's the case, and you've actually seen a real doctor, I'm not talking about a quack on the corner, okay? I'm talking about a real doctor, and they've diagnosed you with this, and they're trying to put you through some treatments, or they want to put you through some medicine. Um, I would encourage you to go through that. 
if, if that's what you want, I'm not telling you to do it, I'm just saying if that's the desire that you have, go through it. You might be surprised at what they can do when they can figure out what's going on and they can, they can counteract it with some type of medical breakthrough. See, God has blessed us in the era that we live in today to have all of these medical breakthroughs and the technology that we have. They can identify these things and learn how to counteract some of them. And so don't be shy to try that out. We have seen where something as small as five milligrams of Prozac has saved a life or saved a marriage or saved a family. And so if that's, if that's you, then go through those things and try to figure that out. Now, with that, I also have to give a caution. We never want anyone over-medicated either because I'm starting to see in our culture today that we have a lot of people that go, well, I have anxiety, and they use that as an excuse to back out of life, to back out of their responsibilities and over-medicate and check out of reality. That should never be you. And so I hope that, that I'm giving you a balance here. If it's meds, take them. If it's not, uh, it, you don't need to be there. And here's the bottom line. We're trying to teach you skills, like I said before, to help you identify, to catch it early, and overcome your anxiety. So whether you're on meds or not, I want you exercising these biblical principles in your life. There's no excuse not to exercise these. And so this is why we're going through this series, is to hopefully help us get to a better place when it comes to our anxiety, because... When we're out of control, when our anxiety is spinning out of control, perpetual anxiety can lead us to angry outbursts. It can lead us to this place where we start to throw out a rash of accusations or we start to use unkind words to those people that we actually love. And you know you can't pull those back. And this is what anxiety does. And it starts to hurt people. It starts to damage relationships. Unchecked anxiety will leave a wake of destruction. And I don't desire that for anyone. And so we're trying to give you some very clear instructions, some practical steps on how you can overcome that. And I just wonder out of this room how many wounded people we have or how many broken relationships we can testify to because people are dealing with unbalanced stress. And so um, last week we introduced you to what I believe is God's prescription for dealing with anxiety. And we put it in a word. It was an acronym that we used, and it was, the word was CALM, and if you can remember that, hopefully you can remember these steps. And this is the way it went. If you weren't here last week, we'll catch you up here. Uh, the first one is to celebrate God's goodness. That's the C in CALM. We need to hit the pause button. We need to remember that God is good, and that he wants the best for us, and he has a better plan for us. Second one is to ask God for help, and we'll get to that one here in just a minute. Third one we're going to talk about next week is leaving your concerns with him. We're going to teach you how to do that, and then how not to take it back. Because we're good at that, aren't we? Uh, we give it and then we pull it back. We, we, we don't really give it over. And then on the last week, we're going to talk about meditate on good things because it's important for our mind to be in the right place at all times. And so here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to dive into the second one, which is this ask God for help. Uh, because so often, God wants to come alongside. He wants to help. He wants to carry our burdens for us. But we don't think about him until we're on our last thread. And I want us to commit today that we're going to start there. We're going to ask God for help from the very beginning. So let's take a look at this, verse 5 and 6 today. We read this last week. We're focusing on these two verses. It says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Some of your translations say gentleness. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Now, the word that's used there for considerate or in your translations, gentleness, actually describes this temperament that, that is seasoned. It's, it's mature in its response. It's somebody who's level-headed, tempered when it comes to anything that approaches them in life. This actually implies to a reaction, like, like it's a seasoned, level-headed reaction that actually is even-handed and fair. And so the idea behind this, this idea of let everyone see that you're considerate and all that you do is when life happens, because it's going to happen, that you respond correctly in a way, get this, that it conveys, it just tells everyone that God is in control. And so I want to teach you a phrase that's contagiously calm, contagiously calm. I hope that you'll strive for this over this next week. And hopefully it'll become just normal practice for you to learn how to respond in such a way that people look at you and they go, that person is contagiously calm. See, a person who's contagiously calm actually reminds everybody else that God is in control. Now, how do we stay contagiously calm when everything is spiraling out of control? How do we do, do that and keep our heads when everybody else is losing their heads? Well, it comes from that second phrase. It says, the Lord is coming soon. And I like the NIV version, which actually says it this way. It says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. You know what it means that the Lord is near? Do you know what that means? It means you are never alone. You are never alone. There's not a second of the day. There's not a place you can't go where God can't be with you. God is always with you. And this has been the story from the very beginning of the Bible God told Abraham, do not be afraid, I'm your shield. He told Hagar, do not be afraid, I hear your prayers. He told Isaac, do not be afraid, I am with you. He told Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for God will go wherever you go. God is with you no matter where you go. I'm leading you into the promised land. I'm not leaving you. There's no place that you could go to be away from me. Now, some of you have bought into this lie that somehow because you struggle or you're struggling in a certain area of your life, that God has kind of abandoned you, that God is not with you, like he's not close to you in that moment. And we hear this all the time. It feels like God is not anywhere around me, like it's just distant. And I want to remind you that God was with David even when he went through adultery. God was with Jacob in spite of his conniving. God was with Elijah even in the moments of his lack of faith. God was always with them. Last Christmas, we went through a series entitled God with Us. We were basing it on the name of Jesus that says Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. This is why God came. This is why he sent his son. He put on flesh, was born in a manger, walked this earth, lived a perfect life, gave his life at the cross, died for our sins, defeated death, overcame the grave, is, is so that he could be with you. So that you could be made right with him. And in that moment, when you receive that gift of salvation, you are right with God. It says that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? That means the Lord is near. God is always with you. His Holy Spirit is there to teach you, to lead you, to direct you, to guide you, to counsel you, to convict you if need be, and to comfort you, even in fits of anxiety. This is why one of Satan's greatest lies is that you're alone. You're alone. God's abandoned you. And we believe it. Even after the entire Bible is about a God who loves his people and wants to be with them and desires a close, intimate relationship with them, and Satan whispers in our ear and says, hey, he's abandoned you, and we're like, oh my goodness. And, and what do we do? 
It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. God has abandoned me. I'm alone. And so we isolate. We withdraw from everyone and everything. And this, it's amazing to me. It's, it's one thing to go through a challenge, but to do it by yourself, I don't know how you do it. Isolation cre- creates this downward spiral that's hard to turn around. We've got to be careful about buying into that lie and believing that God has abandoned us because he never has. He says, I will always be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And so choose instead to be the type of people that grip God's presence with both hands and will never let it go. I pray that we become people who can recite Psalm 118 that says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Can you, can you say that? I mean, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Maybe this is a verse you need to write down if you struggle with anxiety and go back to and read over and over and over again. Uh, When I was a small child, I remember um, one of my favorite Bible passages was the story of Jesus and the fishes and the loaves. Do you know this one? Jesus is walking along and there's a whole crowd following him and and it it says that it comes to like dinner time, it's getting late in the evening and the disciples start getting getting a little antsy because they're like, hey, uh, we're way out in eastern Colorado, there's no restaurants or anything, we don't know what to feed these people, you know, and Jesus says, "Um, you feed them. And it says that he said this to test him, he knew what he was going to do already, he's like, you feed them. And you know what the response is? This is their response. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. We can't do anything about this. There's too many of them. And and do you hear any anxiety in that statement? Any uh, frustration? Like, oh no, Jesus, what are you talking about? We can't feed them. And one of them actually says, we would have had to work for months to pay, just to pay for this one meal. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. Which honestly is very, very frustrating, I'm sure, for Jesus. Do you know why? Because even though they were anxious, didn't they have just as much reason to have peace, to have hope, to be excited knowing that something great was about to happen? See, think about it. Leading up to this point in the story, think about what they've seen Jesus do. Jesus has healed leprosy. He's healed the centurion's servant by just a word without even going to the guy's house. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He calmed a violent sea. He healed a paralytic. He, he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He raised a girl from the dead. He drove out evil spirits. He cast a demon out of a demon-possessed man. He changed water into wine. And he healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. All of that before this incident in Scripture. And yet, did, did they once stop to ask for God's help? Did they stop and go, Jesus, how are you going to feed them? No. You know what they did? They acted as though he wasn't there. And before we point fingers, I have to say, this is exactly what we do, isn't it? Jesus is, is so good. And it's why in the first one, celebrate God's goodness is so important, people. Because it's a track history. It proves to us that God does care and that he is here but we so often forget it. Now, if you know the rest of the story, it's amazing because uh, there's this great miracle that happens. Uh, This little boy comes forward, and maybe this is the reason why I liked it when I was a little boy, but this little boy comes forward, and he's like, hey, I don't know if it'll help, but I got some fish and loaves, and he hands it to to Andrew. And Andrew tentatively turns around and goes, Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but maybe. You know, this is how he presents it to Jesus. And, And you know what Jesus does? 
No money was spent. Nobody was sent away. Everyone was fed. It says 5,000 men. They didn't even count the women and children, so we know it's a lot more than that. They were all fed, and they had 12 baskets full of food left over when they were done. Almost like one basket for every disciple to go, hey, next time, I want you to think about asking me for help. Do you know what the whole moral of this story is? Anxiety is needless because Jesus is near. Anxiety is needless because Jesus is near. And maybe it's, it's not hunger for you. Maybe you have a tough task at work. Maybe you have a spouse that keeps falling to temptation. Maybe you're facing some uncertain season ahead. But I want you to know that typically you would have tons of anxiety for, this, for all these reasons or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And, and you would be on your knees praying and not asking for God's help. But you would be asking, God, please take this from me. Because that's our normal response. This time, instead of doing that, I want to challenge you to start not with what you have, but with what Jesus has. I want to challenge you that before you lash out in fear, that you look up in faith. Because that's the moment that God desires to step in and do something amazing in your life, if you'll let him. I want us to take a moment before we ever just get all wound up and, and tied in knots inside. I want us to take a moment and just look for, to Jesus for help. Go to your heavenly Father. Because contagious calm will happen to the degree that we turn to Jesus. That's it. It's how much do we turn to Jesus. Uh, remember verse 6, it says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can I, just, can I just wave a flag for a minute and say this? Some of us have this reversed. Like we worry about everything and we don't pray about anything. And we need to reverse it. Do you worry about everything? Paul says pray about everything. And here's the great news. When you do, God never sends you to voicemail. He never, he never puts you on hold or says, call me back on another day. And actually, just the opposite. God loves the sound of your voice. Even if it's cracked, even if it's scared, God loves the sound of your voice. He hears your prayers and he never hides from your call. Philippians 4 tells us the Lord is near, and then it tells us to act on that truth. So I want to challenge us to choose prayer over despair. See, because peace happens when people pray. You want peace? You've got to learn how to pray. There's an interesting story told in John chapter 18 where Jesus walks up to a blind guy, and, and uh, it's interesting because he says to the blind guy, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And I kind of imagine the disciples standing there, uh, kind of like looking at Jesus like, what kind of question is that? Like, duh, the dude's blind. He wants his sight. Jesus, come on. And you might wonder why Jesus would ask that question of that dude. And, and I would say this, I think that Jesus wanted to hear him articulate his request. He wanted to hear from him. I want my sight back. I want to be able to see. And God wants the same from us. We're told to let our requests be made known to God. And so there's two things I want to challenge you with today as we talk about this idea of asking God for help. The first one is to pray specific prayers. If you want to write that down, this is where we're going to go today. I want you to be specific in your prayers for three reasons. First one, because specific prayer is a serious prayer. You're serious when you're very specific about it. 
Uh, if I asked you today, hey, uh, can we get together sometime? I want to talk to you. You'd probably be like, yeah, whatever. Okay, whatever. But if I came to you today and I said, hey, uh, can we meet, let's say Friday at 5 o'clock, 5 to 6? I, I need about an hour of your time. i got something going on at work, and I really need your advice. What would you say then? Why? Because it's, it's more specific. You would take it more seriously because it was more specific. So specific prayer is a serious prayer. Number two, specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God at work. This, this is an opportunity that we have to pray specific prayers for specific outcomes, to see God move in a mighty way in one place where we put our finger. We're asking him to, to move in a certain way, and you're going to see some amazing things happen. Because so often we pray for things, God, give me health, and you've been healthy for 50 years, and then I don't, I don't see God working at all. Let's be specific. It's kind of like Gideon and the fleece. Remember Gideon going out? God, if you're calling me to do this, I'm going to lay this fleece out. And, and in the morning, if it's really you, the fleece is going to be wet and the ground is going to be dry. And it says he got up the next morning. What happened? The fleece was wet. The, the ground was dry. And I loved his response because even that, that wasn't good enough. He's like, oh, God, um, don't be mad at me, but I'm going to lay it out again. And if it's really you, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And what does God do? He does it. And Gideon went on to do some amazing things because he prayed a specific prayer and God answered it in that specific way. So uh, thirdly, I would say specific prayer makes a lighter load. It makes a lighter load. See, many of our anxieties are threatening because we, we haven't defined them. They're ill-defined in our heads. We don't even know. It's just like it's gotten so much bigger and so convoluted that we're just dealing with anxiety and we don't even know about what anymore. But when you get very specific, you start to identify exactly what's going on. You can wrap your mind around it. And then you start praying that way, specifically for whatever it is that you're dealing with. See, if I got up this morning and I just prayed and I said, God, would you uh, just help me make it through the day? That's a prayer, isn't it? But what's better? If I got up this morning and I actually spent some time and I said, God, would you please Give me safe travel to work today. And God, when I get to work, I've got this 8 o'clock appointment with this woman, and, and she's very intimidating. I'm just asking that you would just calm my spirit. Give me the words to say in that. Grant me the actions when I go to lunchtime to be able to reach that friend of mine who doesn't know Christ. When we're praying specifically like that, and then we go to work, guess what happens? In that meeting, I'm not worried about it anymore. Do you know why? Because I've turned it over to God. And I know the Lord is near and he's helping me in that situation. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Some of your translations say worries and cares. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you know what casting means? It's relocating an object, taking something and throwing it somewhere else. God says, cast your cares, your anxieties on me. Now, I'm not endorsing any kind of demanding or conditional prayer. God is not manipulated or impressed by a formula or some secret code. He's not a pop machine where we put something in and we get something out. That's not the way God works. Uh, I am not going to presume to tell God what to do and when to do it. And so I'm not telling you that. What I am saying, though, is that God is moved by sincere requests. When you come to him with something on your heart, God hears it. And he answers. So I want you to pray specific 
prayers, first thing. Second thing is, I want you to pray with promise. Pray with promise. All through the passages from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God is telling us his promises. This is what I'll do for you. This is what I would desire for my children. And he says there to remind him of that. And you see this especially with the Old Testament characters and Paul. They're reminding God of his promises all the time. So when I say pray with promise, this is what I mean. I want you to pray with God you said. God you said. God you said that you would help me through these waters. God, you said that you would walk with me through this valley. God, you said that you would never leave me nor forsake me and then lay your request before God based upon that promise. Now, since we launched this church, I have one. Uh, it, was, it used to be a little piece of paper in my office and Danae, our pastoral assistant, saw it and she took a piece of wood and she wrote it out on a piece of wood for me and it hangs in my office to remind me every day. And mine is actually 1 Thessalonians 5.24. It says, the God who has called you is faithful and he will do it. And I pray prayers every day wrapped around that because this is not my church. This is his. It's not my job to grow. It's his job to grow. It's not my job to meet the needs of all of this. It's his job. And so I pray, God, you said you were faithful and you said that you would do it. And so I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting in you for that. And so I want you to pray with promise. I want you to find a promise that fits whatever issue, problem, whatever it is that you're going through. And I want you to build your prayer around that promise. See, prayers, especially built on the promises of God, they touch the heart of God. They remind him, yes, this is what I said, and this is my daughter, this is my son, and God responds to that. We need less anxious thoughts, and we need more prayerful thoughts. We pray specific prayers, and we pray prayers with promise. And it says that when we do that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Why? Because the path to peace is paved with prayer. Say that ten times fast. The path to peace is paved with prayer. And your answer may not come overnight. It it may come later on than what you expected. But I promise you this, it will come. And you will overcome. Why? Not because you did it but because you went and asked God for his help. And so I want to do that right now. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We ask that in this moment uh, that, that you would just search the hearts in this room, every one of us. Lord, we know that many are struggling with anxiety. We know that many are, are uh, spiraling out of control. And God, we're asking that in this moment that you would meet us where we're at, that you would build us up, that you would um, show us in a very tangible way, God, that you are near, that you are here with us through your Holy Spirit. God, there are some people in this room that need to feel your touch right now. I'm just asking for that specifically, that you would touch their heart and let them know that you love them and that you care for them and that better days are ahead. Lord, I pray that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds. Teach us how to do this in a way that honors you. 
And we pray that in all these things that you're molding and shaping us to be people that look more and more like you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.